Our goal in this podcast is to provide you with information to help you deal with your everyday stressors. Welcome to today's podcast. My name is Keith Frith. We have with us Dr. Tim Falk. He is the clinical director of Al Leaps, and also our special guest again is Sheriff Whitcomb from Cattaraugus County in western New York State. So glad you're with us again. We had an incredible episode. Uh, this is a continuation of that. Real excited to have you back. I want to tell you real quick before I turn it over to Tim here that our upcoming conference is going to be on February 8th and 9th. 9th is the actual day of the conference. February 8th, we're having a meal for all the officers and their wife that evening at 6 o'clock. And we would like for you to go and register at alleaps.org. And also, this is an opportunity to let you know that this podcast can be heard on Spotify, Podbeam, and it is uh, the title, The Al Leaps Podcast. So please spread the word about this podcast, and you can watch these sessions on uh, Facebook at Alabama Law Enforcement Alliance for Peer Support. So Tim, today we're continuing with the topic of impact of the trauma on a law enforcement officer. Thank you, Keith. Sheriff, thank you again for being with us. Uh, We look forward to the conference and you speaking. Kind of continue where you left off last time about the impact trauma has on a law enforcement officer, not only on a law enforcement officer, but it's had on you. Uh, Because I think the thing that really speaks volumes is the impact it has, has had on you to where you take that mission out to those street cops so that we can see a decrease in suicide. You know, we've had over 140 something Officers commit suicide this year alone, and we've had about three times as many guys kill themselves as bad guys killing us. And so we really got we need to get the word out. So kind of pick up from where you were and kind of give us an intro on what we what could we expect during that six hour conference um, that you're going to be speaking. Well, you know, to piggyback on uh, one of the lines that I used in the earlier session is I, I you know I, I mentioned that. The fact of the matter is, if you're going to work in law enforcement, you are going to be exposed to cumulative traumatic events. Two to three times a month, you're going to get to see, hear, touch, taste, smell things that most people will experience twice in their life. And you're going to do it repeatedly, two to three times a month. And, you know, you're going to get to do that with colleagues that also wear badges and you're going to share other people's darkest moments and ugliest times and you're going to have a shared experience with your your colleagues and that's kind of why we call each other brothers and sisters we uh, we we have this very unique bond um but you have to you have to learn to understand the science that can explain what happens to you when you process those events. Because there are dynamics that take place and they're normal. They're normal reactions to abnormal events. And if you're not prepared for it, if you're not prepared to understand it, to process it, they can start to become baggage. They can start to become heavy. And then 
as you're going through your everyday lives, each one of those bad events that you endured or experienced, you might have taken something away from it. Maybe it was something that you were listening to at the time it happened, a, a song on the radio. Maybe it was the weather. Maybe it was the meal that you were halfway through or any, it could have been, could be anything that you saw, something that you smelled, something that you heard, something that you were processing and it kind of becomes a stick in the mud, right? And as you move forward the rest of your life, there are constant reminders that take you back to those unpleasant things. And if you're constantly revisiting unpleasant moments, it's hard to smile and be happy. And so you start going through life every day with these little reminders of, of re-exposing yourself to things that are painful, things that hurt. And we're not wired that way. You know, we can learn a lot about ourselves by paying attention to other learning animals, right? Dogs, they, they chase stuff that makes them feel good and they avoid stuff that hurts. And we do the same thing. And, you know, if something feels good to us, we chase it. We keep coming after it, right? Put your hand on a hot stove, you're not going to do it again, right? So trauma is an exposure injury-based disorder. So it's the only disorder in the DSM-5 that's like that. There's no other disorder. There's, there's, there's 297 disorders in this book. Now, 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 obviously, there's many more of them if you get into the subcategories, right? But there's about 300 disorders in the DSM-5. The only one that's exposure-based is PTSD. So if you're going to be a police officer, you're going to have those exposures regularly, routinely, cumulatively. And Murphy's law is going to be merciless on you sometimes in your career, meaning maybe you're going to go three months and have a pretty happy life. And then all of a sudden you're going to have three months where it seems every time you go to work, you are wading through trauma and you just can't get away from it. He finds you in your personal life. It finds you in your professional life and, and you're swimming in it. And that's when, if you're not prepared, it can start to catch up to you and it can start to become very heavy. Now, the, the, the good news in all of that, too, is post-traumatic stress disorder is also unique from the other disorders in the book that it's the only one that's 100 percent manageable. Right. Uh, I know that there are some clinicians that they get a little hinky when you hear when when they hear somebody say it's the only one that's 100 percent manageable because some of the other disorders like depression are so very close. And that's true. But. In theory and in science, post-traumatic stress disorder is the only one that's 100% manageable. So this presentation that you're bringing me to do, my hypothesis is knowledge is power. If you're going to wear a badge, you're going to be exposed to trauma. That exposure can open up a window for a disorder to come into the window of invitation and wrap up on your soul and start to squeeze. And what it squeezes is quality of life. And because it's injury-based, the faster we identify it, the easier it is to help somebody manage. But we all know people can have PTSD for decades and it can get a really good stranglehold. But the good news is, is once we identify it, even if it's been there for decades, we can have the outlook that it's 100% manageable. Even if it's got catastrophic stranglehold, we can expect that there can be 100% management 
of the disorder. So it becomes pretty imperative that we try to identify it sooner rather than later in people, because the sooner we identify it, the easier it is to assist them. But knowledge is power. So, you know, young officers going to work every day, if they go through training similar to this one and others, where they know who, what, when, where, how, why, what PTSD is, they know its history. They know where, where we're heading with it because we're still growing with it. We've only called it PTSD since the Vietnam conflict. In a, in a snapshot of time, that really wasn't that long ago, right? We had different names for it before that, and it was not in the DSM-5 until Vietnam put it on the, on the map. Now, that was in the DSM-3. Now, PTSD has gone into the DSM-4. It made it into the DSM-4R, and now it's in the DSM-5. But there's not one single magic wand to, to treat people with it. There is a variety of, of treatment paths, uh, modalities, if you will, to try to help people manage it. Some seem to have um, better success than others, and some work for some people and work better for others. We're still trying to catch up to this disorder. And the irony behind that is that I have a unique perspective in law enforcement because it's all I've done since I came out of college, right? But I can think of no other profession that's constantly trying to catch up to what's going on, right? When I came out of the academy 31 and a half years ago, I went to work with 18 bullets. I had a revolver, right? I had six in my revolver and six in each speed loader. And I watch every deputy walk out of our facility today and they got a minimum of 46 rounds, depending on what model Glock they're carrying. They've all got a body camera on. They've all got a taser on. They've all got pepper spray. They're all carrying a Narcan. They all have defib units in their car, all have an assault rifle in their car, all have a shotgun in their car. They've all got a laptop computer tower in there. Boy, you know, times have changed, right? So we're in a window of time where our profession also needs to change to protect and serve better those people that have chosen to protect, protect and serve. We have to give them the education and the skill set so that they can identify traumatic events for what they are. They can understand that they may have responses that happen to them, sensory because of auditory or visual or uh, something they smelled, something they experienced, something that they are cognitively are processing that may linger for a while. And they may have to identify this as a normal as a normal reaction to an abnormal event. And if it's a real bad tragedy, or if there's several of them in a row, then you're probably going to need a little bit of first aid. And an emotional injury and a psychological injury and is very similar to a physical injury in the treatment path. All of us and all of our agencies, we have a pretty good understanding if one of our officers falls and breaks a leg. We know that they're not going to come back to work for a while. We know that they're going to have to go through some PT. They're going to have to do occupational therapy. They're going to have to wear a cast and some crutches. They're going to, it's going to take a bit of time for them. But if we as an administration are supportive to this treatment path and journey, and we convince them to have the moxie to eliminate other activities that would hinder the recovery, and we give them the time to heal and process and comprehend it, we all know that they can return to work fit for duty from that broken leg without restriction. That same path is available for people when the injury is emotional or psychological. 
And unfortunately, too many administrations, they don't create that path for those officers. And quite frankly, think of the resource that you generate in your law enforcement family if you're an administrator and you give this education to somebody and they go through a god-awful catastrophic event and then you understand and they understand that there's going to be a process to recalibrate to normal and then they recalibrate to normal. And what do we know from law enforcement is that really shitty things happen to really good people all the time without rhyme or reason. And somebody else in our law enforcement family is going to take a swim in the toilet sometime here this year. And how blessed will we be if we have made that investment prior in one of our family members who at that time can stand up and say, brother or sister, I know what you just went through. And now I know what you're going to go through. And I'm here to walk with you because I have endured this myself, right? That's what we're supposed to be. We talk about the blue line. We talk about being a law enforcement family. We use the words brothers and sisters. And sometimes we, we talk the talk and we don't walk the walk. And so this presentation, my intention, my hypothesis is we're going to exponentially gain knowledge about this specific insidious constrictive disorder in the DSM-5. And it's going to help arm us, prepare us, like insulate us or inoculate us as we move forward and give us the education we need if the level of exposure presents to us individually and gives us an injury so that we understand the path that we have to take to get back to managing that injury without allowing it to compromise our quality of life, therefore preserving our ability individually not just to continue to protect and serve the society, but to protect and serve those people that you're entrusted to most fiercely, the people you love, and you have to put yourself in that pack, self-care. Wow. Thank you again, Sheriff. Great presentation. Tim, I'm really hoping that the word gets out because I know that this conference is going to make a real impact in so many officers and first responders. So once again, the conference is coming up on February 9th. That's the full-day conference. We have a meal the evening before February 8th here at 2727 Fortner Street. You can put that address down. We would like for you to register online, and that is at alleaps.org. We also have places there for you to ask for specific topics for upcoming podcasts, and there are a host of resources there on the website. So you can find us and spread the word on Spotify, on Podbeam, and iTunes at The Al Leaps Podcast. On Facebook, we're Alabama Law Enforcement Alliance for Peer Support. So please spread the word. Let's get the help out there for these officers and first responders who desperately need it. Tim? Sheriff, I'll throw something out at you because we were talk- you were talking about PTSD and the importance of catching it early. Um, there, there's a statistic out there, and I'll let you close in just a few minutes, um, that when we do an intervention with an officer that has been exposed to a traumatic event, when we do that, there's only a 3% chance of them committing suicide. For the officers that we do nothing for, there's a 70% chance of them committing suicide following the next traumatic event. From, from my perspective, and I think from your perspective as a sheriff, if somehow we could get leadership to understand that percentage, 
we see a decrease in suicide, which kind of piggybacks on what you said. And, and I'll let you close with just a few remarks, and then uh, we'll shut this down. Thank you very much for being with us. Yeah, you bet. Well, to add to those stats, I'll just share with you when, when we're going to discuss who, what, when, where, how, why. When we talk about the who, we're going to talk about the incident rates of PTSD in our society, and specific to those that are veterans, uh, U.S. citizens, and then we're going to talk about cops specifically, right? And depending on where you get your stats right now, if you get them from the uh, American uh, mental health groups, they will tell you that about 50% of our returning vets coming back from uh, Iraq and Afghanistan are coming home with PTSD. Ironically, if you get those stats from the Veterans Administration, the numbers greatly reduce from that. They say it's about 20%. So one out of five instead of one out of two. I, the, the cop side of my brain tells me that the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. But uh, that's a, it's a steep number, whatever it is, when you look at the incident rate of PTSD in our society. And that is at about 7%, right? So if you go to your closest mall and you count 100 people that go by, about seven of them might have PTSD simply because they're a U.S. citizen, right? Well, if you pick up the phone in Dothan, Alabama tonight and you dial 911 asking for help in your family's darkest hour, you have a one in four chance that the officers showing up to assist you are they themselves quietly suffering from a diagnosable disorder in the DSM-5. That's 100% manageable, by the way, right? But the incident rate is 24%. 24%, right? And uh, listen, uh, my friend that committed suicide, he went to the academy in 1973. And the specific event that he endured occurred in the late 70s. And he took his life in 09. And the agency that I am currently the sheriff for, and uh, have spent 31 years in. I, I, I wasn't here when, when Dennis went through his ordeal, right? But our administration failed him. And he should still be here. We have a duty as an administration to protect and serve those people that have chosen to protect and serve. You know, you, the minute you put stripes on your sleeve or brass on your collar, your job has now changed. It's not just protecting and serving the people that you love most fiercely, your family and yourself, and protecting and serving the people outside in the streets. Your job is also to protect and serve those that have chosen to protect and serve. And we, there's a lot on the line. So we got to do it right. And we've not been doing it right. This, this confrontation in our culture needs to happen. And uh, I sure hope to. Gain momentum in Alabama in February when I come down. Thank you, Sheriff. Appreciate it. Keith? Again, thank you for joining today's broadcast. We look forward to uh, offering more of the upcoming podcast episodes to you, so please spread the word. Looking forward to the conference. Looking forward to Sheriff coming and being with us. So, again, you can find us on Facebook at Alabama Law Enforcement Alliance for Peer Support. Our website, alleaps.org. Again, Spotify, Podbean, and iTunes Music. You can look up the podcast there. Hope that you will spread the word. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you soon. Thank you for listening. For more information and resources, visit our website, alleaps.org. 
If you have any questions or want to suggest a topic for a future episode, email us at alleapspodcast at gmail.com. That's A-L-L-E-A-P-S podcast at gmail.com. The Alleaps Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and Facebook.